Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to, by the way, Rian, I think we're on episode 150. I think, I think this is episode 150 um, of the overlap. I just realized that we hit that milestone. <laughs> unless, unless say, I'm off easy, by one. Easy way, I was going to say, it's an easy way for us to check, I think. <laughs> there's, there's a very easy way to check. I honestly don't know why we didn't do this like right before we hopped on. But if you want to confirm for me whether or not we're on 150, that would be great. Because I'm nine, I'm like ninety nine percent sure. I think. Uh, oh, I can't tell from from looking at the Spotify. Thing. So yeah, you know, really, that's something. <laughs> you know what? After the break, well, maybe we'll have to we'll figure that out during the break. Yeah, we'll we'll figure it out. Maybe we're not. Maybe we're on like one forty seven or something. But anyway, long story short, welcome back, people. Um, I unfortunately back for my vacation. Vacation was so nice. Like, I get why people move to California and the West Coast now. Like, it was. Outside of San Francisco, which is like, I was telling friends today, a solid three out of five city, solid three out of five. Um, LA, on the other hand, a very strong five out of five city. Um, I think it goes like New York, LA, San Francisco for me. Um, that's, that's definitely where my head is at. So long story short, it was 70, like 70 to 75 degrees every day in SoCal. Um, I wore shorts and jockers. And then like a sweatshirt at night when it got cold. And that's literally my perfect lifestyle. Like that temperature, that everything. So I know I'm ranting at this point, but holy shit, being back in New York sucks when it's as cold. I never want to experience it again. That's fair. That's, that is almost fair. I don't know. I had, I've had trips to both places as well. And, um, and then I've been to San Diego as well, which, and I actually like San Diego more than either of those two places. But that's what I've heard. To be but, fair, uh, but yeah, it's it it gets cold here. It does, it does. And I guess at this point, I'm kind of used to it because of how we grew up to living in Philadelphia. Um, but no, great, great cities. I. I think you probably had more fun in, in LA than I did from, from like <laughs> the week that I was there. So I'm, I'm happy you had a good vacation there yeah i think being in la and having access to a rental car when you're on a vacation is a much different experience versus being in la and having to uber everywhere that i would not have wanted to be in that that position which i know you were so yeah, yeah not trying to do that again yeah and honestly i i just don't miss driving that much so that, really? that's also kind of the big, the big uh reason why i'm i'm not the biggest fan Interesting. Actually, yeah. I love driving. Like I drove down, as you know, like down the Pacific Coast Highway. I drove from San Francisco to LA. So I didn't fly. That was like doing it the long scenic way with all stops included, total of like 10 hours. Um, so definitely like you have to mentally prepare yourself for it, but <laughs> totally worth it. Um, I'm I'm getting completely sidetracked. But anyway, if you have the chance to drive down the Pacific Coast Highway and you've never done it before, highly recommend. Must be nice. <laughs> must be nice, <laughs> nice enjoying life wow. <laughs> uh, anyway what did you what did you get up to this weekend i mean we had a big event well we i say you uh hosted a big event of course for one of our friends who is leaving the city um currently somewhere in the middle of the country but yeah <laughs> i feel like yeah. that was a big no that took that took up most of the, of the weekend honestly and and uh i was just happy that i had 
today off, which I didn't realize that I, I didn't realize that I had off of President's Day until <laughs> like Friday morning. So, so someone else told me. So that was nice. A great, great surprise. So today was a good day to get like some errands done. And that was it was a productive day. Obviously, after like not being productive at all on Sunday, just slept <laughs> almost the entire day. So nice. Now very productive. Yeah. Catching up on on health. I respect yeah. that. I will say this is the last comment I have on anything non-football related, but President's Day might actually be the weirdest federal holiday. Like, I don't understand its purpose. And I just looked it up, actually. And it is, quote, a federal holiday commemorating the nation's 45 commanders in chief, which is just very nationalistic and bizarre. Uh, to it is me. Random. Like, it's very it's like we have a day. Off. Like, I'm not complaining. Don't get me wrong. But uh, like a separate day for presidents. That's it. Yeah. Like, cool. I'm not asking <laughs> questions. Yeah, I'm, this, is, this, is a, this is a vacation day that I didn't have to use vacation days for. <laughs> True. I'm not, again, not complaining, just confused. But anyway, <laughs> neither here nor there. Rian, let's talk about the more fun things that happened this weekend. Let's start in the Premier League, as we always, almost always do. We have to talk about the biggest game of the weekend. Um, a, a game that, honestly, I'm going to be honest, because I was on vacation last week, kind of crept up on me. Like, I didn't realize this game was happening until maybe like an hour before. And I was like, oh, my God, I forgot it's that weekend. And I looked at like my my calendar, things like that. And I was on there. I was like, oh, I got to find a way to watch. So confession, I didn't watch the full thing. I watched all the extended, extended highlights and stuff like that. So I know it happened. But but this was still a wildly entertaining game. And I'm very envious of the fact that you did get to watch it. And of course, tweet incessant stuff during the game. So let's start there. Rian, let me, let me open it up the conversation. Just ask you one very simple question. What did you make of Harry Kane in this, in this game? I think from his standpoint and from the, the team as a whole for Spurs, it was a day of about as perfect um, as perfect the uh, performance in terms of executing a game plan uh, that we've seen from, from teams that have played against Manchester City for the most part this season. Like, like this is every game it's, I guess it's very similar to Liverpool, but every game they're your only chance to score against them, especially City this season, is your touches have to be almost perfect. Like every touch has to be almost perfect. Movement and like understanding between you and and your teammates have to be almost perfect. And for 90 minutes, Spurs attack when they got the ball, when they actually were able to find space or find like just a bit of time to be able to pick their heads up. Um were perfect and Harry Kane was pretty much the leader in all of that there was like it was like genuinely I think the best individual performance in the Premier League this season I I I, trying not to be recency biased but but I can't think of a thing I'll I'll add this I'll add this across 90 minutes let me add that in because yeah oh yeah yeah that's what I mean yeah, yeah, yeah obviously but um I, I mean, I fully agree with you. Sorry, continue. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I mean, I, I'm sure there are a couple, at least a couple of Mo Salah performances that you could say probably are, are close to that same level. Um, 
but 90 minutes against quality of opposition I, I, I don't think there's been a better individual performance this season from a, from a, any player in the Premier League and Kane in that game picked up two goals uh, on just 38 touches by the way and at that same time he led the team in progressive passes and progressive carries with the ball and you could see his progressive passes from that first goal even um the ball that he plays out to Son perfectly in stride and I think it's behind Ruben Diaz and then that's how uh Spurs break away for their first goal and then they shot Dejan Kulishevsky pulling up with his first Premier League goal player I, I think I've talked about a few times before especially during the Euros a really fun player a Swedish player who came over from Juventus in the winter this whole performance was just super Super efficient from Spurs this game, and they have to word. be right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's that's honestly the perfect word to describe this game. Um, efficiency. I mean, we can talk about the number of touches that Spurs had in the box. The number, of, I mean, the number of chances. Let's start there. We don't have to even go into granular details. The number of chances Spurs had compared to cities, like night and day, complete night and day. Now we're talking a lot about how Harry Kane and Hungman Sun had absolute standout performances. Kulisevsky, uh, of course, another great performance. I thought he did really well um, kind of in the, I'll call it the half channel slash wing position, um, especially on the right-hand side. First off, I'll say this, that first goal, he did Cancelo so dirty by putting that ball between his legs. Like there was no need to do that. He had the whole net to himself. But the fact that he megged one of the world's finest fullbacks like that is honestly take that home and, and write it on a wall because that that is very good. Um, second, second off, and, and this is the conversation I want to have with you, Rian. I was telling him before we started recording, I think you're going to disagree with me about my takes here. My hot take for this game is that I don't think Spurs played well. Now, let me explain why before you just start throwing shit at me. Spurs, like we mentioned, had a total of, I think, six shots, right? Something like that. Of course, a very high expected goal number relative to those six shots. The chances they had were very good, and I agree that they were efficient. But there was very, very little that Spurs could do about City's pressure. I thought defensively they were poor. I thought in the attacking buildup that they actually did outside of the counterattack, or all three counterattacks that they basically scored off of, for example, a Sessegnon missed like cross that went out of play, like those little half chances that they made for themselves, they did not capitalize. Now, I thought Harry Kane Hungmanson had amazing games, like 11 out of 10 performances. I thought Kulosevsky had a 9 out of 10 performance, possibly even 10 out of 10, but I'll stay with 9, nine out of 10. I thought everyone else was largely average, if not poor because they could not contain City in any possible way. And I think at the end of the day, for example, Loris nearly dislocating his shoulder, right, to make that save against, I believe it was Raheem Sterling. That is normally a shot that goes in 9 out of 10 times. This is the 1 out of 10 chance, right? And so we're also talking about a game where, again, they let City score in the 90th minute. Now, of course, it was a penalty and probably a, an actual penalty shout out our Argentinian friend, Christian Romero, but um, 
all in all, like, I don't think this is a good Spurs performance. I don't think anything that you said there is unfair, really, realistically. But that's just kind of says more about what it takes to beat the city team is that you need some luck, right? True, 100%. Um, I think it was Gundogan who hit the post in the first half too, right? Like just after um, Spurs had scored, you basically the only team in the league that can beat City without needing a considerable amount of luck right now is Liverpool, right? And that's, I mean, more or less, that's how it's been the last few seasons. Right? Yeah, it's on news. Um, and it's just, this is kind of like the blueprint for almost every other team in the league and most teams in Europe right when they come up against city you need to be perfect almost perfect when you do get the ball and you need some luck from the defensive side too because you're right like they're Manchester City had more touches in the penalty box than Spurs had in the attacking third in the entire game like that's that's kind of the level of domination that we saw from this game. And from, I mean, that second half, the first, what was it, 20 minutes, 15, 20 minutes, um, even though Spurs had scored, <laughs> it was still, um, I think they had something around, somewhere around uh, 90%, I think, of the ball in the first 15 yeah. minutes of the second half. The commentators were saying that. So you're, you're, you're not wrong to say that that's, at the end of the day, Spurs did not defend well. Um, they defended enough to keep themselves <laughs> in the game. And I, and I do think that like, Spurs could have scored a one, at least one of they had, they had the uh, offsides goal. I think when Kane could have made it three, one. Yeah, that's true. Um, and offside. Yeah. There was, so those are two different chances that were just very close and could have gone Spurs way. So I, I think they were about as close to perfect as they could be with the ball against this city team. Um, especially when you look at the still the huge gap in, in talent there um outside of that it's 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 just kind of the blueprint to, to beating city you need luck you need to be lucky right now and and those are the margins and speaking of margins Elias <laughs> that that kind of brings me into the other outcome from this game which is after Liverpool came back against Norwich winning 3-1 this result has put Liverpool just six points off of Man City with the game in hand now. And yeah, it has. <laughs> look, after their draw with Chelsea at the beginning of the year, the beginning of 2022, most of us were pretty resigned. Don't, put, to don't the you dare put I said me in most. That boat. I said most. Yeah, there you go. But, you but go. I mean, look, I haven't gone back and listened, so I'll have to figure <laughs> out what Elliot's actual. <laughs> feelings were during that during that episode but at that point city were 11 points up on liverpool granted liverpool had a game in hand so at best eight points not that down or was, yeah <laughs> <laughs> um but like i said about the margin since that there's been five games all that's happened is city has drawn and lost one game and liverpool on the other side have been well what they needed to be was perfect right and and that's how we are in this point where uh, City went on a 16-game unbeaten run, 15 of those being wins before losing this game to Spurs, and yet they are still, at worst, three points up on Liverpool. 
Yeah. Yeah. So here, here were basically my words about two months ago. Um, it's not over till it's over. Um, I think I've repeated this to you a couple of times, but I really became a, a firm believer in that after I saw um, PSG lose out to Barcelona live six, one in Barcelona. I became a very firm believer in that. So point being, I never thought this was over, although yeah, it looked like it might've been, um, but we're talking about two teams in Manchester city and Liverpool who have yet to play each other a second time. That will be a massive game. We don't know if Liverpool will win their game in hand. Let's assume that they do. But for example, they had to come back to beat Norwich this past weekend. So we, we really don't know. And the same way, we don't know what next weekend might hold for City, right? I'm not saying they're going to lose to Everton or anything. I'm just saying, like, we don't know what the future in general holds. So it's important to be cognizant of that. Um, I will say, I know we're all very bullish on Manchester City and their consistency. I just want to take a second to appreciate their unbeaten run in the league. This was the first time that they had been beaten since, what, like last early mid to last year october october uh, okay october yeah. yeah of of last year so 16 games i believe before they they lost to spurs and <laughs> weirdly enough spurs just seemed to be city's kryptonite and seeing conte and pep's reactions when that third harry kane or third goal harry kane second went in was priceless it was priceless for a neutral. It was absolutely spectacular, but it just seemed to be their kryptonite. I don't know. Yeah, that's four wins in their last five in in the league against Manchester City from from Tottenham, and they they did the double. And the first the first game was I think it was the first weekend of the season too. Um, Nuno Spurs beating oh my beating God. Manchester City. So it, wow. Yeah, there's some there's some weird juju there for sure. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Well, why don't we actually transition Rian over to a team that you just mentioned, right? In Wolves, um, talking about a team that has done shockingly well in the last several weeks. I mean, I feel like when Nuno was sacked, right, we had a lot of doubts about this squad and the way that they were managed. Right. And that's something that really like saddened me because I thought Nuno, even though he was let go from Valencia and things like that, like, I still think he's a a relatively good manager, but performance wise, it just, it was not happening for them. Now in, in the last, what, I think eight games, I think they're in the last eight games. They've only lost once. So where do you stand with Wolves, right? We're talking about a team that quite literally just beat Spurs too. So it's not like they don't know how to beat big teams either. Yeah, you're, you're right. they've been in this um, really tricky spot, I think, in the last, basically since the start of the season, as I was reminded from um, some podcasts I was listening to, like they lost their first three games of the season. I think all of them one nil and, and, I think I represent like from those games, they played really well in every one of them and just could not finish and, and were really unlucky. And basically since then they've been, they're kind of in that hole early and, and now have been fighting their way back. And throughout the entire season, they've been really, really solid on the defensive side, right? 
tied for the second fewest amount of goals conceded in the in the Premier League. All of that while still being seventh in shots allowed, ninth in expected goals allowed, which are not Champions League level um, numbers there for for right. a team. But I think a lot of credit has to go to their goalkeeper this season is, is Jose Sa, who they brought in from um, from Porto, actually. And and this is his first season. He's been one of the best signings in the league mm-hmm. where he's got the second best post shot XG in the league. And, and that's kind of the foundation for Wolves is that is that their defending has been so, so good while their attack has been so, so poor. And I think their kind of biggest thing is that they injuries have kind of plagued their season a lot too, where Jimenez obviously wasn't ready at the very beginning of the season. And then obviously it's taken him time to come back and still he's not having a great season. And a lot of that probably has to do with. I mean, the fact that he broke his skull. Yes. (laughs) Oh yes. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I I can understand that. (laughs) Yeah. I mean that, of course, of course, like just being able to trust your body again. Yeah. Really. Um, But obviously the drop in form from Adama Traore and then kind of this the what drop in form what are you talking about the, <laughs> <laughs> he's doing fine <laughs> he's re- revived himself <laughs> in, 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 under the catalonian sun but for um jimenez i'm sure he's probably missed a guy like pedro netos who had been out the entire season so he hurt his knee at the end of last season i think that was the reason he ended up missing the euros as well for portugal um but he got his first minutes of the season this past weekend in his, first, in his sub appearance. And he's just someone who's really important to them. He was, he was one of the, one of the best young players in the league last season. And, and before his injury, there were rumors of him going to almost any top club in, in England. And I think Liverpool is even one of the, the teams looking at him. So they need to uh, improve on the attacking side, but, with the return of guys from injury like like Neto, it, I think maybe we've been overlooking them just a slight bit. This is not to say that I think that they're going to finish fourth, um, but this is a really solid team, and they have good enough players to, I think, at least be a spoiler in that top four race or not even out of the realm of possibility to finish fifth. Like, yeah, it's, I mean, that it, it's fair, and I think it's certainly attainable for them to reach the Europa League spots, right? I, I don't know – actually, this is a good question. I, I don't know what the Europa League spots will turn out or shake out to be by the end of the season. Uh, let's say, for argument's sake, it's going to be just fifth and sixth. Um, they are within one point of that, and I believe they still have, like, two games in hand over West Ham right. Who are sitting at fifth. Now it's important to note that Arsenal and and Spurs also have several games in hand against West Ham, but we could very well be looking at a situation where West Ham, for example, are no longer in contention for the top four, just purely based on the number of games that have yet to be played. Um, So it's really important to recognize kind of that part of the whole process. And I do, I do very much think that Arsenal and Spurs are probably more likely to potentially break into the top four if we're talking about a team to do it. Um, 
one interesting tidbit, I know we're moving away from Wolves, but one interesting tidbit about the, the top four that I think is related to them. Arsenal are on 23 matches. United are on 26, I believe. And Arsenal are within four points. So that is kind of the more interesting area of this for me to watch at least. Yeah, those are both teams that you're talking about that picked up wins over the weekend themselves. Yep. Um, two two very different wins, right? Arsenal, a lot more controlled, um, a, a more dominant win, even though the scoreline was was different. It was um, 2-1 in there, went against Brentford, and United beat Leeds 4-2. But I guess crazy watered down pitch aside that there was in, in Leeds, which was, which was really fun, really funny scene to watch. Like just how much, how much power that the players had to put on the ball just to get simple five to 10 yard passes off because of um, the storms that are going on in the UK this past weekend. I, I think if I had to pick between the two teams, I also in a really good groove right now. And but they still have yet to make up a couple games, a couple of really difficult games that, that they'll have, which one of them still need to make up the um, North London Derby, which got postponed because of the yep. COVID issues. And then um, because Chelsea were in the Club World Cup last weekend, that also meant that Arsenal's game with Chelsea got postponed. So they have two tough games in hand that, that, that are part of those three. But right. But kind of talent difference aside which i think we could we would both say on on average united squad is more talented right now than than arsenal's and obviously has more experience in kind of like the business end of the seasons but the arsenal team is just genuinely playing well as a team right now and uh i think just (laughs) no no data just vibes the vibes are much better at Arsenal right now too. And that's, that's a part of our analysis is truly like, where do the vibes sit? And at the end of the day, I, I agree with you. It's like, like, you know, it, it can be the tiebreaker in the least, you know, it doesn't have to be the end all be all vibes, but no, it yeah. can be the tiebreaker. The end all be all um, vibes. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know, Ellie, like, who are you feeling more, not just more, confident in the sense of uh the team being like together right and like in, in terms of just like like i said the vibes but like who do you feel more confident in being able to put together consistent a consistent few weeks or a consistent it's gonna take more than a few weeks i think actually but like a consistent last um or at least last couple of months of the season that's a good question I mean, we are now what? Let's call it two-thirds of the way through the season, almost, if that. And if I'm thinking about teams that are more informed, if I'm thinking about teams who have, for example, beaten top sides, right? Thinking about Spurs with City, thinking about how Arsenal will fare against those two games in hand that you mentioned. I feel as though Arsenal are still in a better position to finish top four, to finish above Spurs. I never thought I would say that at the beginning of the season, honestly. I I really was feeling the complete opposite way. I think it's important to remember, though, while Spurs did just come off a win against Manchester City, they've lost their last three. 
this is not a team that is completely in form and Conte is running around the training ground all happy. Like there are still a lot of things fixed with this team. Arsenal, I feel like have locked down one thing really clearly that we did not have an idea of being the season. And that was their kind of gala 11, right? Their starting 11. I think we've started to get an understanding of what that is from Miguel Arteta. I think letting a bummy go is probably best for all parties, right? And seemingly a very good decision for the club as of now. Um, so I, I, between those two, for example, I, I, I'm still leaning towards Arsenal. My concern with Wolves is still that they may not have all of the skill and talent to compete with Arsenal and Spurs. That's that's literally it because Wolves, I guess, how many matches do they have between now and the end of the season? I, I don't know the math off the top of my head, but they don't have any. They're 24. They're, so there you go. But my point is they don't have any other competitions to worry about. It's this or nothing, right? Spurs, well, not so much. Arsenal, not so much. But still, generally speaking, Arsenal and Spurs have played more matches already. So, something yeah. to keep in mind. Yeah, yeah. I think something with Arsenal being in no um, European competitions and also being out of um, the FA Cup as well as like that was, I was trying two. to remember when they got like, knocked out of yeah. the FA Cup. Yeah. So, like, like, it's been great for Arsenal that, they, that they've been able to, like you said, get to that best 11 and, and just play it consistently without worrying about games in between it to break it up so right. so that's kind of like their trump card in their own sense um and, uh, and now obviously tottenham have have it as well but um i believe but tottenham are still well, they, they, they're still in the fa cup so, right they play middlesbrough so yeah so mikel arteta is getting the time on the pitch that he always needed for this to work out and, and i'm sure he's probably like you could look back in two years and say that well, that season was really, really important to not be in any other competitions for, for my like tenure here. So um, just real quickly before we move on to La Liga, Arsenal's win this past weekend was against Brentford, a team that started the season so colorfully and like really, really fun and um, winning games and, and putting themselves in a position that, they could relatively feel safe about relegation. They are now in a position where they've only won one game in 2022, only two games since the start of December. They've lost six of their last seven and have conceded two, at least two goals at each of those losses. They are only a few points off of um, relegation now are six points to be clear but with Watford and uh Burnley having games in hand at least are are we concerned at all about about Brentford yes no yeah no I I am I am it's it's not so much that I'm concerned about them getting relegated I think that might be a stretch I am concerned about the fact that they have not won a game this year or sorry they've only won one game this year and losing six, I think, yeah, six out of the last seven is a very, very bad run of form. I mean, it's one thing to consistently draw, i.e. Villarreal, but 
it's one thing to consistently lose and concede as much as they've been conceding. And that's kind of my biggest fear is the fact that they're a losing almost all of these games and be there conceding as much as they are. So I know their next game is against Newcastle, right? Which will not be an easy game, right? We're talking about a Newcastle team that has seemingly sprung into life. I feel like in the last two weeks, but generally speaking, that will not be a tough game. How are you feeling about, I guess they're, they're kind of two or three games after that, because I feel like Brentford are in a position where they need to quite literally not win every game from here on out, but they need to focus kind of on game by game rather yeah. than just thinking, okay, the next three, four, whatever it might be, we need X number of points. I feel like a yeah. lot of teams, or at least maybe it's portrayed that way, get into that mindset. Yeah, the next three games for Brentford are huge, right? Like they play Newcastle, Norwich, and Burnley, all three teams that are um, – in the bottom four position in the league, they have to get, they have to, I mean, they can't think about it. Like, just like you said, they can't think about it in, in like these three game spans, but realistically, if they get two wins out of those three, they're probably, they're probably safe. Realistically. Um, they'll put them at 32 points and it would just give them breathing room from the teams that are, that are closest to catching them. So the Newcastle game is going to be difficult, like you said, um, unbeaten in their last six games and have found themselves in a position where they almost control their own destiny for the rest of the season. Um, and they're like a good margin from 17th, four points. So it's going to be a tough game. And, and that's really where these next three games for Brentford, they need to pick it up. They, they, they need to get results to really be able to feel safe. And I know they've dealt with some injuries this season too. I think missing Ivan Tony for a little while in the middle of the season was really difficult for them, but yeah, they've got to, they've got to pick up points now. I think that's, we, it's funny because we talk about how straightforward that might be. Um, but it's much easier said than done. Like there's a reason why Brentford are in that, in this position I don't think it's anything beyond like club management or anything like that. I think it does just come down essentially to performance on the pitch. <laughs> I, I think it is that straightforward, but of course it's easier said than done. So. Yeah. And I think from there, let's, shall we take a little break and come back and maybe Ellis will continue trying this reverse jinx with Barcelona. We'll see how it keeps going. Listen, listen all I'm saying is something is working. I, I'm not here to say what, I'm just saying something is. So, yes, we'll be right back. We'll talk about La Liga and we'll wrap things up. All right, Rian, let's talk about Spain. Let's talk about Spanish football. Uh, notice that in our notes, well, none of you can see this, but in our notes, I did not put anything about uh, any European performances in this uh and that is purely intentional uh a because i'll recap it very briefly here real madrid got smacked by psg only losing one nil but probably could have been more messi missed a penalty against courtois arguably the best goalkeeper in the world um but he did not have a bad game barcelona beat napoli 
or sorry, Drew Napoli um, after what should have been three goals probably from Ferran Torres. Uh, what else happened in the Europa League? We'll get, well, actually, I'll touch on a couple of teams that were in the Europa League later in this, but that's all you need to know from Europe. On Barcelona play on Thursdays, I make it very brief. So, <laughs> with that transition, let's talk about Barcelona at the weekend. <laughs> let's talk about their game against Valencia because that was much more entertaining. Yeah, it was, it was, I mean, I know that game was, the result was much better than on Thursday, but Thursday was also really good. That's two really good performances yeah. in a row, really, from Barcelona. Um, so, at least that, that first half performance, the way that Aubameyang looked like he was back in Dortmund <laughs> <laughs> and, and Jordi Alba was playing Danny Alves passes as passes <laughs> um, in midfield from, from the left back spot this time. All things considered, was that the best full performance, team performance um, in a first half under, under Xavi so far? I, mm. And I also want to throw in that even Sergio Dest looked good defensively. So, yeah. all right. <laughs> that no, first, that's that's an absolutely necessary plug. That I mean, first there's half, a, there's a reason he started, right? Uh, one being Danny Alves was suspended, but uh, of course, more importantly, the fact that he did get the nod over Mingetha, who started on the bench. So, was that the best first half performance under Chavi this season? You might hate my answer here, but I'm going to say maybe not because I think you could make the argument that obviously they played well scored goals right three goals in the first half um did not concede but let's not forget that valencia had two goals ruled off for uh offside um i think it was yes for offside one for the ball going out yeah Um, yeah and let's also not forget that this team played atletico madrid two weeks ago and also played very well against him in the first half. Now, what's more impressive to me about that Atletico game is that they conceded first, is that they were able to come back against a team that basically has all to play for now too, Um, on top of, of course, the Champions League against United. But for me, like that Atletico first half was slightly more impressive just because they had to come back from from being down. Um, And each... It's funny because like we talked about this a couple months ago, but each game needed like a good amount of luck, right? Associated something that has not gone Barcelona's way this season from Jordi Alba's like sliced goal that no one could do anything about to now we're talking about two goals from Valencia that were ruled off for either offside or the ball going out of bounds, something like that. So it may be a killjoy of an answer, but that's my honest answer. I still think that this game was nine out of 10 like in that first half. I mean, you're talking about a first half performance that saw Serginio Dest against Brian Hill, a matchup I was really, I texted around about this, like I was really looking forward to. I thought Serginio Dest did wonderfully um, defensively. I think he kept Brian Hill at bay basically the whole half, but honestly, most of the game. And beyond that, two players that really, really stood out to me. Honestly, three. One, Aubameyang. I forgot he was that good. Um, I really, really did. And officially he actually got a hat trick because Pedri's goal went off of his back. (laughs) So technically he got a hat trick at the weekend. Secondly, 
Gavi. I think we forget how young Gavi actually is. And this, I, I was reading about this earlier. <clears throat> Gavi is 17 years old. At 17 years old, he's not only the youngest player on Barcelona's first team, he would be the youngest player on Barcelona B. That's how young he is. So let's not forget that he is putting in full shift performances against some of the world's best players. And he is looking like a world-class player. That is something that really, really impressed me. His movement, his speed, um, his tenacity needs to be worked on a little bit because I'm afraid he's going to turn into someone who gets red cards throughout his career. But um, beyond that, very impressed. And then lastly, Petri. Um, his first touch of the ball was his goal. Uh, or, uh, sorry, his shot, not his goal. But uh, that, to me, is the making of a world-class midfielder. Very, it, it, I almost like got deja vu with Frank Lampard. Not because of like their style of play or anything like that, just within that moment of that shot and how powerful it was, how just kind of that wow factor that you got. I, I loved all three of their performances. was honestly fantastic. I, I have very little to comment on this game other than, a little still very concerned defensively, honestly, um, especially going into this Napoli second leg where we have to go away from home. Um, and although there are no away goals, still concerning. So. Yeah. So, so maybe it was, it was arguably maybe the best attacking performance. I, like, I, I agree yes, with you, but defensively. Yes. There were still, there was still times of nervousness. Um, if you were watching from a Barcelona perspective. So <laughs> I, I, I can, I can see where you're coming from there. But just like the attacking movements were really, really good to watch. And um, especially that second goal, that second goal, um, where I think it's it's Alba plays in uh, Dembele, who's like making this late run, and then he taps it over to De Jong. It was looked like a classic Barcelona goal. So that was, we don't, we haven't seen a lot of those recently. So it, it's nice to see that it's, it's being taught again or being ingrained in a, in a, uh, constructive way because it's just I just feel like that's been the biggest difference since Xavi's come in is that there are more fluid attacking movements that we saw than what we saw under uh Ronald Koeman so yeah big 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 uh performance I think uh, attacking wise from from Barcelona and they were did a good job to not get anyone sent off by the end of it too so it was a full team full 90 minute performance where we could just see them uh actually see out a game too in a comfortable fashion yep yep 100 percent. that was kind of the other part is that after that fourth goal it felt like they had a little bit more control because in the first 15 minutes of that second half i was i was concerned <laughs> to say the least so honestly i'm just happy that they got out of there with three points i'm even more ecstatic that going into this game against napoli they're in a really, really good position um, to hopefully go through. I believe it's the round of 16 now because they're in currently the round of 32 because the Europa League is that big. Um, so yeah, that's, I, I feel, I feel decent about it. I, like I haven't felt this way about this team in a while where I felt a little more confident um, and Xavi has them playing very well. And just a, a shout out to uh, Carlos Soler. Yes. I, I know you want to touch on him. His goal I'm, was great. His goal was great, but also he had, like he should have had two goals. He got a little unlucky not to get two goals. Yeah, but, we um, we leave that for VAR <laughs> officials. But um, no, honestly, I had a thought about this during the game. I think one of the commentators on ESPN said this, but 
I don't know how Carlos Soler has not been targeted more often by a top side somewhere. Not to say that Valencia are not, but I'm talking about your Liverpools of the world, your cities of the world. Like Carlos Soler is a complete central midfielder. Um, I, I thought he had a wonderful, wonderful game. I thought even in the last two seasons, I think he's been a wonderful addition to, to Valencia. Uh, of course, came up through the, the Valencia Academy. But I, I'm just shocked at 25 years old. I think he just turned 25. He has not been targeted by most other clubs. Um, and especially we're talking about a Valencia that come this summer may very well have to offload like serious talent and they will, may need cash. So I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him go. I mean, maybe, but I'm just, I'm surprised that no one has really said, okay, Carlos Soler could be a really good fit for us. Cause I think there are about three or four clubs off the top of my head that I think he could play at. And we shall see. I mean, Valencia's whole model has had to change because of um, yeah. one Mr. Peter Lim. Right? Um, <laughs> yeah, we could do a so, whole podcast on him, but yeah. that's neither here nor there. <laughs> so so this could be another season where they have to, unfortunately, move players that are really, really important to them. Yeah, 100%. Well, talking about a club, a big club at that, um, that has had problems of their own, Atletico Madrid. A team that played well against Alaves at the, or excuse me, um, Osasuna at the weekend, winning 3 0 at El Sadar, a, a ground that is not easy to necessarily win at. Although Osasuna's home record this season has actually been like relatively poor, quite honestly, compared to previous seasons. I really want to hit on one thing that was really interesting about this game, Rian. Simeone, I did not know what he was going to do with the starting lineup. Like, I just, I, at this point, I just, I don't know. I don't know what to expect. But he started Luis Suarez and Joao Felix together up front. Now, we can talk about how Carrasco fills in on that right-hand side and how Angel Correa came on and, and did his thing as well up front. But within the first couple of minutes, we saw Joao Felix get on the score sheet with a brilliant hit, a wonderful hit. And early on in the second half, assisted Luis Suarez. So I'm curious, like, what you think Jao Felix's problem with Simeone or vice versa might actually be because Jao Felix the other day, I think in an interview, basically said something along the lines of, um, I, I'm, I'm, of course, paraphrasing here, so do not, do not take this and run with it for anyone who's listening. Um, but something along the lines of, like, it's it's up to Simeone who he plays what he wants to do and uh we'll see what happens kind of thing so I don't know I, I I'll never understand not starting Jao Felix that's my TLDR I mean you and I are in the same boat here really yeah right like like we're both very um disappointed with with his development into this team and um or lack of development really I don't I don't know if there's anything personal there. I, I, I'd be surprised if that was the case. I, I really do think that there, this is just, uh, I, I, I wish I had a good metaphor for it, but like, this is Simeone. This is not a guy who's used to this much talent, this much 
I guess, complex attacking talent is maybe the, the better way to put it. He's not used to players who could do all of these different things. And granted, he did kind of have that with, with Griezmann, right? And and he just yeah. kind of was a straight-up striker. Like, <laughs> and he just tried he, – even then he was trying to simplify <laughs> Todd Griezmann's role in the team. And it worked beautifully, by the way. But um, Jean Felix is a bit more complicated, and he's not the only players like that. Um, Roger Cunha also like not 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 a traditional number nine. He's like he's a different. He's a very more modern type of striker, and is a bit more complex, right? And I think he is just he being Simeone finding it difficult to get all these players to play. Um, in a way that accentuates their best talents, right? And that just has more to do with the playing style. And it just, I've said it before, it feels like a clash of styles with the players that are now at the club versus the coach of the club. So, yeah. And I think I think Jao Felix's issues are a symptom of that more than the cause. Yeah, that's actually a really good, interesting take. Like, I think that, there is definitely some truth in that. I also think that, I mean, I tweeted a little bit about this, but I think Atletico are going through a bit of an identity crisis, like with the fact that there is so much attacking talent and there's still this kind of mindset of being a defensively solid team, like a a club that prides itself on that. Um, They're, they're not inherently a defensive team though, anymore. Like they haven't been for the last season and a half. And I think Simeone's trying to almost change that. And with the players that he has, the, I mean, the quote that he basically said the other day, Jao Felix specifically, um, he said kind of like, I think we all know what the problem is, right? This is what I found uh, with the team, but I don't want to say it, right? And Simeone's response is, well, if Jao Felix knows what the problem is, like, then you should tell us, like, not just say it in an interview. So I think that there is, like, the point of me saying that quote is because i think there is something deeper beyond just the personnel of the team i think there's this almost lack of belief in him in in him being simeone um within some of the players some of the squad maybe some of the staff i don't know but i think that's starting to fade away and that might be the bigger concern yeah it's obviously it's going to be a big summer but um it, it it just feels like his job isn't completely untouchable right now, um, which is feels kind of crazy to say considering his history with the club. But um, the club is, is going to be at a crossroads this summer because I, I know that, that Joe Phillips is under that basically record deal <laughs> contract, like music industry type of contract where he has like five more years left on it and and um it's going to be really difficult for them to move him even if he wanted to leave uh but that just kind of reinforces the feeling that there has to be a decision made about how is this team going to be built going forward and when your 21 year old record siding is two seasons in and we still don't really know how he fits into the team or if he fits with the playing style is really the more pressing and and really more concerning thing that that's a big issue. Yeah. Yeah. I fully agree. I fully agree. I I think that's going to be their biggest test to now in the end of the season. 
along with the fact that they <laughs> Atletico just need to keep a clean sheet at this point. Like, they, and, and they did this past weekend, but their last clean sheet away from home was May of last year. So it's been, it's been a minute. It's been a while. I'm not saying that they're this massive defensive team that still have Diego Godin running around. Right. But to not have a clean sheet away from home in almost a year is pretty poor. Um, Oh, black, of course, has been a big part of that. We talked about how he's basically been one of the worst keepers this season in Europe. I mean, Europe's top five leagues, um, which is just a shocking drop in form from him. I mean, honestly, unexplainable at this point. So, Rian, we've shit all over Atletico for enough. Let's talk about another team that needs some, like, to seriously get help at this point like mental health help probably um talking about real sociedad the bass derby was this weekend um athletic bill bow against real sociedad in the bass derby bill bow for those of you who did not watch beat real sociedad 4-0 the biggest margin of loss in the bass derby since the 1960s and scored four goals in the last 20 minutes of this game and at no point during this game did Sociedad look like they were in control. There was literally no point. Uh, and, I mean, you will love this, but uh, honestly, XG tells a pretty good story at this point. It was 3.09 to 0.5, um, of course, in favor of Bilbao. Now, 0.75 of that is from a missed penalty from Munayin, but the fact that he missed the penalty and they scored four goals, and he still went on to score a goal, is a pretty telling way of how this performance went. So uh, my question is, Rian, like, what happened to La Real? Like, I, I know they have three pretty notable injuries right now. Bernacea, Yanozai, Isak, all did not play. But losing 4-0 against your biggest rivals is, dare I say, unforgivable? Uh, almost almost right like there's they just seem to kind of run out of steam at the same time right the the injuries are being a big part of that like they don't have the depth to keep up with the rest of these top four contenders and that's fortunate because we know how much potential there is in their in their young players like in isak specifically Right, we know that how good these players can be, and and it's also been a disappointing season from Mikel Oyarzabal. Right, that's that's probably the biggest concern from this season from from a Sociedad point of view, mm-hmm. um, especially in a season where he just broken into the Spanish national team in the last year, and you would think that he'd be pretty motivated <laughs> to have to have a a really good season, and obviously, who knows what's going on outside of. Um, off the pitch right but there's just kind of this lack of um of real foundation like talent foundation for for Sociedad and and when they do have these few injuries there's not a huge or there's too huge of a drop off I should say and um they just seem to not have enough from a talent standpoint yeah I honestly, I think that is what it comes down to. It's just sad that like we talked about at the beginning of the season, they were overperforming on their XG 
and now or honestly overperforming on everything not not just that and now it is quite literally the complete polar opposite so in a, in a funny way if you look at where they are in the table they're they're right about where we probably expect them to be if the swings in form are not so drastic right they're sitting on seventh or in seventh with still a game in hand so like it honestly is not terrible it's just about where they came from um which was not here <laughs> not seventh they were in first at some point so yeah i, I think honestly, to know too like that they're, they're still going through i mean they had a they had a midweek game as well right they're, they're in the europa league and all of that does to stretch a squad that is already not very deep it's, yeah. it's all just taking its toll yeah yeah basically and I will say, I mean, part of it could be fatigue. I know from the the Leipzig game um, this past week, right, where they drew 2-2. And I'm sure that Laurel are not completely used to, to playing in Europe as consistently as they have been uh, in recent years. But I think that's something to at least point out. So in the interest of time, Rian, let's wrap things up uh, with Sevilla. Um, we were going to mention Real Batiste. I mean, they're having still an amazing top four season, still sitting in third. Big part of that, Juan Mi and Nabil Fakir are absolutely overperforming everything on an individual basis. Um, but their next two games are against Sevilla and Atletico Madrid, two games I'm very, very closely going to be watching. Um, and I'm very, very excited to see how Pellegrini does. Uh, with, yeah, with shout out two. to Manuel Pellegrini. who Yeah. Is not going to be remembered remembered much for his time in in um, the Premier League, but he did produce a couple really good seasons from the Manchester City side, and they did win the league under him. So yeah, like, yeah, I think it's important to note that the, Pell, Pellegrini was basically the start of something really really special with that City project, and uh, he's doing some pretty amazing things in Spain now. So I'll at least remember. You may not. I'll remember him from that time. So anyway. With that, Rian, I just want to briefly touch on Sevilla. Um, they've slipped up twice now in the last couple of weeks. Two pretty, pretty important um, games where they have lost points. Could have been six, only as two. They drew Osasuna, and now this past weekend, drew Espanyol, who, of course, also drew Barcelona last weekend. And they are now sitting six points off of Real Madrid on the same number of matches, should be known. That the the Rakitic penalty miss against Osasuna in the dying minutes, I feel like is really going to come back to bite them, like very badly going to come back to bite them. And I I don't know so much as if they are not playing as well. I I don't think that's it as they were you know weeks ago, but I think they've just been slightly unlucky now. Like there, there's an element of luck in this in this game where, I, I mean, th- they should just be doing better at this point. I, I think it is actually that straightforward. Jules Kunde did not help anyone out getting a red card, but that's the whole other story. Uh, they still had three quarters of this game to do much more. Um, now they are coming off a three-one win against Dinamo Zagreb, um, in which I believe. Anthony Martial scored his first goal for Sevilla uh, in the dying minutes of the first half. But from a La Liga perspective, like they, they can't really afford to do or to draw two of their last three La Liga games. 
they just can't if they're aiming to win the title. Yeah, and and it's it's feeling a bit like last season, too, where where they were somehow like in it with the title race when it, when we thought it was kind of four teams. When there was a moment where there was four teams that had a chance to win the title, and then they kind of fell off. Yeah, that fell um, off real quick. <laughs> yeah, like as basically as soon as everyone was like, "Oh, CBA actually have a chance," they completely fell off. Yeah. Um, it, it's feeling somewhat similar here too for Sevilla. It was great to see Anthony Martial get that goal in midweek, but then this weekend he went out injured after like 25 minutes. Yeah. The game, and that's still kind of the, that's, that's still the other side of the Martial coin, right? Is that there is a talented player there, but for whatever reason, um, form, confidence, injuries are, are all kind of hampering his ability to become a consistent player. And that's, something that Sevilla really need at this moment was having another player that, that has that quality to be able to um, carry the team forward in a way that they haven't gotten on a consistent basis from the rest of their attackers. And I'd like to see a bit more Papu Gomez play and, and Papu Gomez I would love more that. influential in the team, but a hundred percent. The way that Sevilla play is very controlled, right? Yeah. So it, it doesn't allow for that kind of, individual flair nearly as much yeah yeah super fair point i uh i would love to see Pablo gomez play more that wow i i've not thought about him much since i think barcelona played severe earlier in the season and drew but what a solid player uh he looks like he's 40 but solid yeah player. probably up with the goal this weekend too yeah that's very true so with that ladies and gentlemen we'll leave it there um we'll of course be back after the Champions League games and your Europa League games <laughs> this week, uh, we will be back recapping all of the actions from the last two weeks of European competitions and uh, just look out for more content. We'll be, we'll be at 150 soon. I, I triple checked. We're not at 150 yet. But anyway, we'll talk to you guys soon. Thanks, guys.